Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to a Chicago Sports Nation production, enhancing your Chicago sports fan experience. Well, come on, baby, don't you want to go? Well, come on, baby, don't you want to go? Back to the same old place. Sweet home. Bears Nation podcast. Today we've got a special guest, Aaron Lemming, but... Also, I'm back after two episodes being gone, and we got Chris Nano and Jake. Uh, yeah, so we're excited. Um, Aaron, welcome on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. Um, yeah, so I actually just want to learn more about you and um, how you even got into sports journalism to begin with. Because uh, I, I know there's a bunch of our personalities all over Twitter. Um, I, I feel like I see another big name over and over, like come out of nowhere all the time. Um, but you've been pretty consistent the past, for me, the past three years. And I know you've been doing it longer than that. So um, I kind of just want to know where you got your start from. Um, and just for the listeners who don't really know, uh, you, like for me, you just kind of came out of nowhere and then bam, you're, you're one of the best uh Bears Twitter guys out there. So, yeah, just a little bit about yourself and where you came from. Well, first of all, man, I, I definitely appreciate the kind words. I mean, this is, uh, I guess you could call it a hobby. I mean, that's really kind of what it is. Um, I've always been a Bears fan, unfortunately, a White Sox fan too, but we don't need to get into that right yeah. now. But uh, it, it was just kind of one of those things. Like, I, I live in California. Um, so, and I live in a decently small town in California. So, I originally grew up. Uh, playing music, playing sports, but uh, was in a band, toured for a little bit, signed, did that, and got married. And it was kind of one of those situations where uh, I, my my wife wasn't too overly enthralled with me, you know, continuing to play and being gone all the time. So kind of had to trade one addiction, if that makes any sense, for another one. So I went from mm-hmm. music to the sports and and just kind of started watching. But the problem is, is being all the way out here in California, I mean, there's not really many Bears fans, especially where I'm at. So it kind of got to a point where I got on Twitter, kind of started following some people, started talking a little bit. And then a writing opportunity came up and I'd applied for it. And uh, needless to say, I didn't get it because I had no clue how to write. Um, so it just kind of went from there. I got I think I started off with Rant Sports and just kind of started going and, you know, got a, got a few different opportunities along the way. I had some I had some awesome people help me out and then. Just kind of took off from there. I, I got really, really lucky. Was was able to break some things over the years, and that's definitely kind of helped. And then you know, it's just I, I think Twitter's definitely growing, and then and the presence of Bears fans on Twitter has definitely grown, and writing's becoming more of a of a popular thing that anybody can do. You know, it, you don't have to be a paid professional. You don't have to have a background in it. I mean, you can get into it. And I mean, it's just a form of expression. It's a form of art. I mean, it's the same thing. At least you know the way I look at it is it's kind of like music. I mean, you don't have to be good at it. You can start from anywhere. So that's just mm-hmm. kind of my background on it. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I mean, I work full time and this is my obsession, my hobby. This is this is what I do in my off time and half the time at work, although I probably shouldn't say that. But, you know, 
e- either way, I mean, that's just kind of this kind of how things have have gone for me and how it all started. Well, yeah, you can't do what you do without looking stuff up all the time. Like this, the the stats and the um, just the general information that you're able to put out on Twitter is is pretty amazing. Like I, I, I there was a time in my life where I was really putting out some stuff and like. Like even if I want to do a single player evaluation, that's going to take 30 minutes to an hour just to get all the video content and to really break them down. So definitely impressed with the the content that you put out. Well, I appreciate um, that, man. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the people who are putting out videos and all that stuff, that's awesome. You know, and the ironic thing is I'm actually, in, I'm an IT guy. I'm a, I'm a system admin and yet I don't know how to, I don't I don't bother with any of the video stuff because I'm just not good enough to do it. So I, I definitely have a lot of respect for all the people who can put out videos and you know, do all the film breakdowns and stuff because I just don't have patience to get all the video. I'd rather just type words and be done with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Jake, Chris, do you guys have any uh, questions? No, I'm going to get into it if you guys are. Cool. Uh, yep. <clears throat> All right, so let's go jump, jump straight into it. We kind of wanted this to be a, a draft um, speci- specific episode, and I know that you are excited about a, a few guys, but let's just go ahead and go down the list. So David Montgomery, third-round draft pick. Um, go for it. What's, what are your uh, views on him, Aaron? Well, it, it was one of those – I'm an Oklahoma fan, right? So I watch a lot of Big 12 football. Obviously, within the Big 12, you're really kind of looking at just offense. And usually I can kind of relate to guys that are actually going to translate over the NFL pretty well by guys that I simply dislike that are playing against Oklahoma. And David Montgomery was always one of those guys. And it was kind of one of those situations. You know, last year, didn't really know if the Bears were going to need a running back. And then this year, I didn't think that – the Bears are going to be able to pick high enough or trade up high enough to be able to land him. But I mean, he's one of those, he's one of those running backs that a lot of people are going to look at it. They're going to look at his testing numbers. They're going to look at his 40 time and they're going to liken it to somebody like Jordan Howard. When, if you, if you turn on the tape and you, and you watch this guy, I mean, it's, he's, he's nothing like Jordan Howard. He's, he's got a lot more burst. He's got a lot more athleticism. Um, he's a well-rounded back. I mean, yes, he does miss the top end speed and that's something that maybe some people want, but the reality of the situation is, is, Usually your fast running backs are not going to be three down running backs and your complete running backs for the most part. I mean, you got what, maybe three, four of those guys in the league that can actually do everything that you want and have top speed. So when you're looking at a guy in the third round like Montgomery, I had a second round grade on him. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this guy and one of the things that really pops out is just how many tackles that he's able to uh, evade. I mean, it's just one of those things, whether he's just simply stronger than defensive players, whether he's making just absolutely disgusting cuts to be able to get around people. Uh, his athleticism really shows. And if you watch, I mean, you can watch multiple games uh, and, and just see that he's he's very well-rounded. I mean, he's a good pass blocker. He's got really good hands out of the backfield, underrated hands. And at least when I watched him, and this is something that I felt for a while now, I mean, he, he looks a lot more to me like Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt came um, from the Toledo program. They had the same running backs coach over there is the running backs coach who uh, coached him there for two years. And it's one of the situations where if you if you just start really looking and seeing what he's doing, 
I mean, he's absolutely the ideal fit. I know a lot of people, including myself, thought maybe that speed was going to be kind of a bigger factor for the Bears, but you don't need that breakaway speed if you have all these other things that he can do. And I, I think that ultimately he is a great scheme fit for the Bears, uh, and especially in the situation that they are where they have other guys around them to where they can do different things, whether it's Mike Davis, Tariq Cohen, whatever it may be. Uh, I think he's going to be a very ideal fit. And I think he's going to get a lot more snaps and have a lot bigger of an impact than people think he is right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, Chris. Real, real uh, quick. I yeah. just wanted to say, Aaron, because I watched Montgomery too, and I watched a couple of his tapes, and you said receiving is one of his underrated traits. You had a second-round grade on him. I saw Matt Miller, I think, had him at number two. I mean, we keep hearing the word committee tossed around, but for you, do you think – Montgomery by the end of the season is going to separate himself and he's going to be kind of the bell cow because that's how I see this going with Cohen and Davis being more uh, those gadget pieces, those change of pace guys. Absolutely. I I think you look at what the Bears had in terms of draft capital and I mean, they didn't have much to begin with. You don't trade up into the, you know, into the higher third round to be able to get a guy like Montgomery and then just say, all right, well, we're going to give you 10 to 15 touches a game. It, it just it wouldn't make any sense. I think they may try to split it evenly anyway. I like Mike Davis, but I think that when you're looking at both of the players, you know, just side by side with each other, I think that Montgomery's got a little bit better of a skill set. And even as a rookie, I think he's going to be able to make a bigger impact. So I think it's going to be it's it's always fun to have that thought process of, oh, yeah, you're going in with a committee and, and stuff like that. I mean, we've seen that multiple times. I mean, we saw that with Kareem Hunt, uh, his rookie year in Kansas City, where they thought he was going to be just part of the committee. And he ended up taking things over and ended up being the, uh, you know, the bell cow back. But luckily for them, they have so many different uh, types of running backs within their system that they're going to be able to do different things, whether that's Cohen, whether that's Davis. Uh, Montgomery, Kareth White, which I'm sure we'll get to. I don't know if Taquan Mizell will make the team, but they have a lot of different guys that they can do different things with. But I do expect that Montgomery is going to be taking the fair share of the carries, and I think it may even start week one. Cool. Chris, you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, I just wanted to ask you, um, I know it's a little bit early, we still have some things to figure out, but um, what is your stat line prediction um, for the season for David Montgomery? You know, I haven't really, hadn't really got that far. I, I think Jonathan Wood put something out. What was it a few days ago? Um, just kind of kicking, you know, kicking uh, like touches around, stuff like that, rushes for the year. And I think let's just say, you know, they get let's just say there's about 300 carries between all the running backs. And I think you got, you know, the gadget stuff and Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen and all that stuff. I could see Montgomery end up with 180, 190 carries. Uh, I, I think it's going to be kind of one of those situations where you're kind of looking at maybe what the, what the Saints have done in terms of the committee backfield where they have Kamara. They had, obviously, Ingram at one point. So he may not be, you know, that thousand-yard rusher in his rookie season. But I think that when you when you really kind of put things in the context, you see what else they're doing around him. I think he's still going to stand out as one of those running backs where a lot of people are going to be like, oh, wow, this guy's a lot better than I thought he was. So I'd say... I mean, conservatively, I don't, I don't, I haven't really crunched any numbers in front of me, but assuming he gets, you know, 180, 190 carries, I would average, I would assume 4.5 average. I, I don't know what that comes out to, probably 850, 900 yards, something like that. Cool. Um, so what's breaking my heart a little bit about this whole situation, is, and, and the guys know this, but I'm a huge Jordan Howard fan. And not just because I, I felt like he was skillful enough to stay on the team and all that. Um, I, I recognize that we kind of did move on past him um, and what he was able to offer. 
but it's more of like a character thing. Like I just, I, I loved his humbleness and the fact that the, the he carried the bears for two seasons and not once did, I don't, I don't, I don't remember him ever like boasting about that or ever saying like, you guys needed me during that time. And I just, a huge character guy. So when we got rid of him, I was just like, ah, oh, man. But then kind of hearing some interviews coming out about David Montgomery, I'm really excited about just, again, his character. And uh, that's, that's one thing that I'm excited about uh, for him as a player for the bears now. Um, have you heard anything else about that? Uh, his personality or just, can you expound on that? Well, I, I've talked to, I've talked to a few different people that cover the team. I mean, I have a good buddy of mine that covers both Iowa state and Iowa. And he's one of those guys <clears throat> at first when, you know, we've, we've been friends for a while, but you know, when we started talking, he's also a bears fan and we started talking kind of about players and stuff like that. And there were a few times that he would tell me about these guys. And I'm like, dude, you kind of sound like a Homer right now. Like every single, you know, <laughs> he'd be talking about these guys all the time. And the first one was George Kittle. And he was banging the door for this guy, man. It, it was crazy. Like he, it, every week, he's like, "I'm telling you, man, this guy's gonna be really good if he can stay healthy." Obviously, we've seen how that's gone. Um, he's, I mean, he's just one of those guys. He covers the team so much that he he really knows about these guys. And David Montgomery was somebody that he's talked about for a few years now, and talked about how how good of a player that he's been. Obviously, like I said, I'm an Oklahoma fan, so I've seen a pretty good amount of him, but. I've talked to him. I uh, also talked to a guy that uh, writes for two, 247 Sports, Alex. I can't remember his last name right now. We actually had him on our podcast, and he uh, kind of went into detail. He's he's a quiet guy. I mean, he's David Montgomery's a quiet guy. He kind of sticks to himself. I'm sure by now a lot of people kind of know the backstory of. I mean, he's he's had a rough life, man. He's he yeah. struggled. Uh, you know, he's and he's had to overcome a lot of things, but. What's interesting is that you know he he had the opportunity to go down the wrong path and he didn't and he has essentially made himself what he is. He's not overly athletic, you know. He's he's not overly athletic. He's not overly gifted. He's had to work for everything that he's done. I mean, there's been multiple stories that have come out about how he's you know gone into you know be two o'clock in the morning and he's in there watching tape. He's in there working out, doing whatever. And I think that really speaks to the kind of player that Ryan Pace obviously wants, and I think that the the locker room has in general. So. I think in that in that sense, I mean, the, the Bears are definitely getting that kind of player, and I think that in terms of leadership, I mean, he's been mo- multiple people have regarded him. I mean, whether it's broadcasts, whether it's people I've talked to, whether it's articles that have been written, is a culture uh, changer within Iowa State. And obviously, you know, we've, we we saw what he did. We I've heard him talk. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard him talk as well. I mean, he's a humble kid. Uh, he just yeah. he really just wants a chance. So. I, I think a lot of people are going to come to like him. I mean, he in a lot of ways, he is like Jordan Howard. He's not a big media guy. He doesn't uh, particularly care to talk to the media. Uh, I've heard that from a few different people. He just kind of likes to keep to himself. He's kind of quiet. Um, and for some people, maybe that's not as, as fun as somebody like Tariq Cohen, who's really outgoing. But, you know, Jordan Howard was kind of that same way. So if that's really what you liked about Jordan Howard, I mean, I, I think you're going to be getting pretty close to the same player. Cool. Um, all right. I, I think we can move on. I think we, uh, I, actually, I did want to say one thing. So we, we get in this habit of, of fans is to point out all these really good things about each player. And we'll hear as we go on all the way to the seventh round to white, we'll like say all these awesome things about, about them. But David Montgomery, one of the b- bad things I did see about him, and you kind of talked about it a little bit is he got, he would get caught multiple times, even in his highlights, like from behind, um, the speed thing, are you worried about that at all? It didn't seem like you were, but 
No, no, it's it's one of those things. Like I said, I mean, you can you can watch all these guys. Time speed to me, at least, doesn't really mean that much. Uh, obviously, if it's like uh, Holyfield, then that's kind of an issue, and I think that kind of showed up on tape. But I think when you look at Montgomery, I mean, I'm telling you, man, it, it's one of those things that when you compare his what he did at Iowa State to what Kareem Hunt did at Toledo, I mean, you you can watch both of these guys, and if you're kind of catching them out of the corner of your eye and watching some of these plays, I mean, they look almost identical and obviously we've seen what cream hunts done outside of the off the field stuff so no i don't think it's going to be a big issue i mean a lot of these guys you know they may be timed in the in the four fives or four sixes but a, a lot of it has to do with vision a lot of it has to do with the cuts and, and then the athleticism that they're able to have um and that's something that montgomery has like i said i mean he's a complete back and he and he's somebody okay he's not going to run away from people but there's not a lot of uh, running backs in the league outside of a zeke elliott or a todd Gurley. Uh, or or guys to that magnitude, you know, Saquon Barkley, that are going to be able to do that. So I I think you just kind of have to take, you have to have a little bit of a give and take, especially when you're talking about a third-round running back and you're talking about a weaker running back class in general, that there's going to be things that maybe you would want. I mean, he's not going to be a Todd Gurley by any means, and that's fine. That's not what the Bears' offense needs. But I also think that he's going to be one of those guys that absolutely could be a pro bowler, and he's going to be a big piece of this offense. And my, th- I just like to. I mean, how often in the NFL do we see a, a foot race happen? I mean, I, there were a couple times last year. I mean, I can only remember one from Jordan Howard last season. And I mean, kind of your, to your point, Aaron, it's mostly about breaking guys off. It, very rarely do I feel like it turns into a foot race for a score. Well, exactly, and that's just kind of the thing. I mean, you look at a lot of running backs. I mean, there's there's multiple times that even guys like Tariq Cohen and stuff have been caught up to. Um, you know, obviously more more passes than anything like that. But it just it takes a different set of speed, and especially when you're talking long speed, when you're talking 60, 70, 80 yards for these guys. Sure. I mean, at some point they're going to bog down. So I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, it, I guess you could consider it somewhat of a concern. But like you just pointed out, I think the the fact that those plays may happen once, twice a game. I don't. I don't think it's going to be a big impact, especially with everything else they have on offense anyway. Yeah. All right, Jake. Do you want to open up with uh, how you feel about the Ridley pick? Yeah, I mean, so fourth round, obviously Riley Ridley, younger brother of Calvin Ridley, who is with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, this is actually my favorite pick. I really like Ridley and what he brings to the team. Obviously, the Bears have a deep receivers room at this point, but. I mean, I, I like what he does, and apparently all the notes out of minicamp say that he performed really well, and all the pluses on him are great. I mean, what do you like about him, Aaron? Well, I think Ridley's a guy that I, I know a lot of fans were kind of like, why are they taking a receiver right now? I think everybody, well, including myself, I thought they'd go DB too, but it's one of those situations. I mean, let's just look back on this a few years with Ryan Pace, and you can look back at Leonard Floyd. You can look back at Roquan Smith. I mean, you can look back at multiple picks that they've made that – Maybe at the time, it wasn't a big need for him. And, you know, all of a sudden, it turned into a need. I don't know if many people remember. When they took Leonard Floyd, I mean, they had Pernell McPhee there. They still had Willie Young there. They had Lamar Houston. I mean, they had multiple guys in front of them. And it's just about going with the best player available. And that's why we've seen them hit on guys like Tariq Cohen and Eddie Jackson, players like that, where you find those guys in the mid-rounds, and they end up turning into really good players. But I think... With Ridley, again, I mean, we're, we're I, a lot of people want to focus on the speed, the long speed. And my take has always been at receiver, and this is why I was so high on Anthony Miller last year. And I was also high on Calvin Ridley, maybe not as high as some people. But 
it's it's the route running ability, and, and that's kind of the thing. A lot of people want to focus on the, the you know the the long speed and the top end speed at receiver, and you know it, it's definitely a plus to have. But there's very very few times that you're going to see receivers coming out of college that not only have the speed, that have the size, but also have the route running ability. And there's many of receivers over the years that have been high round picks that have busted out, and the main reason that they busted is for one simple reason. That's because they never figure out how to run routes. And that's kind of the thing. That's the difference between a Calvin, or sorry, a, a, a Riley Ridley and a guy like Emmanuel Hall, right? Emmanuel Hall was somebody that a lot of people had projected to go before Ridley. And one of the main reasons he didn't go outside of the fact that his durability was a little bit of a concern is the fact that he's not a good route runner. And it's going to be something that's going to take him some time. And, and a lot of people have those guys similarly graded. But I can tell you right now, Ridley's going to be playing a lot more than Hall this year if Hall even makes the team. So it's one of those things when you look at Ridley, he's got sure hands. He's a good route runner. He's not overly athletic, a lot like his brother. I think his brother's probably a little faster than he is. But I think overall... I mean, you're looking at a, a pretty polished receiver coming in, and I think that's kind of been a big thing for the Bears over the last two years with Matt Nagy is the fact that, you know, same thing with Anthony Miller. They want good route runners. That's something that will translate year one. Uh, you know, going into year two and year three, receivers have a big transition period, and it's usually not more than one year. And I think with a guy like Ridley, especially considering, I mean, he's probably going to be fourth on the depth chart. I mean, he's a guy that you can you can kind of plug and play in certain areas. If he gets, you know, 30, 40 percent of the snaps, I think he can he can definitely make some plays. But he's somebody that you're looking towards a future. You have Taylor Gabriel, who's going to be making a pretty good amount of money next year that you could cut. Let's say Allen Robinson doesn't pan out. I mean, that's a guy that you can cut next year as well. I mean, there's there's multiple options that they have. And to be able to add these guys and sack them as depth and be able to develop them, use them as, uh, you know, just kind of role players for the time being and, and, and pan out in the bigger roles down the line. I mean, that's that's something that Ryan Pace has been really good at. And I think that's why the Ridley pick made sense uh, in hindsight, maybe after looking at it a little bit more. But just for the simple fact that you're looking at best player available, sometimes that's a cliche, but... When you're looking at what Ryan Pace has done, I mean, that's that's what he's been good at. And that's the reason that he's been so successful with drafting, especially in the mid rounds, is because he goes after guys like Ridley who maybe aren't a, uh, you know, a, a prime need by any means. But it's somebody who has talent that was graded high on almost every everybody's boards that fell for whatever reason and ends up being a really good value pick. How yeah. likely do you think it is? I, you mentioned the Taylor Gabriel and Allen Robinson thing, and I was going to bring that up. I mean, how likely do you think that is that the Bears end up cutting one or both of them and kind of move forward with Anthony Miller and Riley Ridley and uh, counting on them in the future? Oh, man, I hope Taylor Gabriel is not listening to this, but uh, I, I think... Taylor, Taylor Gabriel, well-known fan of the show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he, he listens to a lot of his publicity, man, I'll tell you that. But I, and I like Taylor, Taylor, and, you know, he's, he's good for what he is, but I think he's absolutely somebody who's going to be on the chopping block after this coming year. I, mm-hmm. I, I just... I think when you look at it, Allen Robinson, somebody, I mean, he's still young, and I still think that his ceiling is extremely high. I mean, obviously, we'll have to see what happens this year, and I don't know if they'll be able to keep him beyond, what, 2021, but it, I don't know. I, I look at Taylor Gabriel, and a lot of his guaranteed money flies off the table after this year, and I hate to say it, but I think with the amount of talent that they already have at receiver, plus Tariq Cohen, I mean, that's somebody that, you know, you want to talk about running back position. I mean, he's going to be more of a receiver and kind of was last year as well. So I, I think ultimately, like you said, you got Anthony Miller. They didn't trade up into the second round for no reason for him. I mean, that's just really what it is right now. And I think especially with a guy like Ridley, even if Ridley becomes a solid number three receiver for him, that's more than good. I mean, they have plenty of receiving talent. So I would say that I would be 
at least going into the year. I mean, we'll we'll see how that that changes uh, during the year, but at least going into the year, I'd be pretty surprised to see Taylor Gabriel on the roster in 2020. Well, what's crazy about that that we're talking about Taylor Gabriel being gone is I feel like Taylor Gabriel was more of a um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank of the word, but went to, he went to Taylor Gabriel, one of the he's one of his top targets. There we go, last season Trubisky, and so. It's, it's strange that we're going from him being a top target last year to uh, I don't think he's going to be on the team next season. So it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, Chris, do you have any more on, on Ridley? Um, well, I, I kind of wanted to gear away from it slightly. Um, I, I kind of uh, – this is kind of a question for Aaron, but I'm really, really high on Javon Wims. Um, I'm, I, I've been – since we drafted him pretty much. Um, Can't so confirm. What <laughs> – can confirm. Uh, um, what does drafting Riley Ridley mean for Javon Wims, if anything? Well, I, I think obviously there's going to be some speculation one way or another. The one thing I can say is I've talked to a few different people. The Bears really like Javon Wims. So I think they're going to give him every opportunity in the world to win a job. And, I mean, it's it's easy to look at a player like Wims and see what he did in preseason, see what he did in, in the final game this season, say, well, you know, this guy's got a pretty high ceiling and, you know, I like him or, you know, I think that he can do more. And usually I'm somebody to be pretty cautious about stuff like that, but I'm right there with you. I, I actually really liked what I saw out of Wims when he got the opportunity last year. And, it's again, it's a situation where, the Bears are going to have probably seven or eight guys at receiver who should make the roster. I don't think, obviously, all eight of them will, with Marvin Hall included in that. But I, I, I think that it's an absolute possibility that you could see seven of these guys make it. Because, again, I mean, we're talking about Taylor Gabriel here, and I know he was a reliable target. I mean, he's, he's a good third-down target. But, unfortunately, for the Bears over the next few years, you're going to start seeing a situation where, and we kind of saw it this, this, this offseason, where – there's not going to be a ton of extra cap space for them to work with. So you're, you're not going to be able to have these luxury keeps like they did with uh, Deion Sims and like they've done with other guys in the past where they don't really play big roles on the team, but you want to keep them around because maybe you're going to need them. The Bears aren't going to be in a position to where they're going to be able to do that, and especially with the young talent, at least projected talent, that they have uh, behind him right now. It, that's why I think it makes sense, and that's why I think that they're going to do everything they can to keep a guy like Javon Wims on the roster and, and give him some sort of role just because you're going to want to see what he can do because, again, I mean, this is going to be a situation where the Bears may not be able to afford to you know, pay, obviously, Taylor Gabriel, but what happens when Allen Robinson is a free agent in two years? What if they can't afford to pay him you know, $15, 60000000 million, assuming he, he breaks out? You know, It's just one of those situations where you're going to have to have guys like Wims, the big body guy. You're going to have to have guys like Ridley. You're going to have to have guys like Emmanuel Hallbill develop as an undrafted free agent to give different, uh, you know, to really give different looks. So I think Wims has got a good shot of making the team. And honestly, it wouldn't really shock me if they end up keeping seven receivers anyway. Cool. All right. So let's move on to our next draft pick, Shelly. Uh, Chris, do you want to go into that? Duke Shelly? Yeah, so this was the the main thing I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about, Aaron. Um, I was a huge Bryce Callahan fan. Um, I'm sure, you know, Jake and Josh can can vouch for me. Um, and and I you know I was I was heartbroken when we lost him. I, I feel like he's he's one of the top nickelbacks in, in the league, of course. Um, but honestly, after hearing about Duke Shelley and and everything that's been coming out about him, 
Um, and watching him a little bit this past season, I, I feel a whole lot better about the nickelback position. Um, so, so I just wanted to hear your thoughts about him and, and, and everything you've been hearing. Well, dude, I'm right there with you. I, I was a big Bryce Callahan fan. Um, it, it definitely was not fun to see him go. I, I, I fought the battle with many people um, when, you know, if they had to pick one between him or Amos. So, I mean, I, I was 100% on board with keeping Callahan. And unfortunately, I think if, if things would have played out a little bit better right off the bat, I mean, his market was a lot higher than people thought. And I think the medicals kind of knocked things down and interest kind of knocked down and he ended up signing a pretty fair deal. But you know, it was one of those situations where uh, I didn't actually really know who I knew who Duke Shelley was, but I didn't watch a ton on him. And the only reason I actually knew who he was is because the Bears had brought him in for a uh, visit um, the week before the draft. It was I think he was actually the last private visit that they had at Hallis Hall before the deadline the Wednesday before the draft. And. It was one of those things, like I said, I didn't really pay that much attention to him. Um, I think even the person who reported the meeting, I can't remember who it was, had reported him as a safety. So that's what I had him down as my draft tracker. They draft this guy. I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure that's the one that they, they'd met with right beforehand. So it took me a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of wildness going on during the draft, after the draft with undrafted free agency. But I got around to watching him. I've uh, been watching him a little bit. Watched him a pretty good amount today. And he's... He's small, uh, but the thing with him that really kind of surprised me was how aggressive he was. I mean, he's 5'8", and he's matching up against receivers, especially in the Big 12, where basically all those guys are just huge. I mean, that's just what what it is in the Big 12 with receivers. And he was matching up on guys 6'3", 6'4", and going pound for pound with them. I mean, he's... He's very aggressive in coverage. Uh, I would say he's definitely better in zone than he is man, but he's got very good instincts uh, in coverage, which was somewhat surprising, especially for a DB in the Big 12. I mean, you're not really looking defense when you're looking Big 12, but he he was definitely impressive. He he was somebody, like I said, he, he played mainly outside, so I, I think it's going to be in a little bit of an adjustment for him moving into nickel, although usually guys that are better in zone are usually going to transition better to nickel anyway, but I think size is definitely going to dictate that he stays inside. Uh, but he definitely has some versatility. Uh, I think he could play safety um, in some roles, I mean, especially in dime packages, uh, which is what I expect Chuck Pagano to do a lot this year. He likes to do a lot with DBs. I mean, he could definitely be on the field, and he's somebody that I'm, I won't lie. I'm not a big uh, Buster Screen fan. I just never really have been. So, I he, I mean, he's definitely got some versatility as well, and then again, we'll have to kind of see what happens with corner because Prince of Mukamura is going to be another one of those guys. Yes, he's a starter, and he's pretty good, but the Bears are going to – not be able to afford some of these guys before too long. And Prince of Mukamura could be a guy that goes, whether that's, you know, whoever takes over for him. But I, man, I could definitely see Shelley being, being their nickel corner of the future. I mean, he's just, he's one of those guys. He's got a lot of personality. I mean, Nagy talked about it this weekend. You can definitely see it on tape. Uh, again, he's aggressive. He's very instinctive uh, for being as, as small as he is. And it was amazing how many times that he would match up against huge guys and his athleticism just flat out won, won almost every single play for him. I mean, whether it was him picking the ball off in the craziest of situations or him going up for jump balls against guys that are six, seven inches taller than him and somehow either batting the ball down or coming away with the ball. I mean, it was – and this isn't just something that happened, you know, every once in a while. I mean, this was with regularity. He was matching up with guys – in the end zone, in the red zone, against guys much bigger than him. And like I said, either breaking up the pass or coming away with the ball. So I think he's one of those guys that 
especially with Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano has always been a big DB guy. That's what he did well uh, when he was in Baltimore. A lot of people want to look at what he did in Indy. Indy didn't give him any talent, so I'm not really too worried about that. The Bears have a lot of talent on defense, and I think this is the exact kind of developmental pick where you can say, okay, we don't really need you right away. You know, may, we may see you in some in, in some spot situations, whatever it may be, barring injury. But he's also somebody that maybe in a year or so you can look at and say, okay, this guy is more than fit to be uh, the, the starting nickel and go from there. Jake, do you have anything on uh, Duke Shelley? Uh, I mean, Aaron hit all the nails on the head. I mean, I, I like him too. I think we've all talked about on the show, we're not the biggest believers in Buster Screen either. Uh, I know Chris especially is not very high on him. Uh, but I, I agree with everything Aaron said. I, I think Shelley's a guy who you could rely on who could be your starting nickelback in the future. So we're, we're starting to reach into the sixth round. So why, Aaron, why did some of these guys drop so far down if they have such a high ceiling? Is it size in his case? Well, I think with Shelley, it, it, was a, it was a combination of things. I mean, naturally, not a lot of NFL teams are going to be looking at DBs from the Big 12. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Another thing is obviously size. He's, he's 5'8". He's a smaller guy. I think he's like 180. Uh, he ran pretty well. I mean, he's definitely got good long speed. I think he ran in the, the low or high 4'4". Uh, but the the big thing was is he he had a decent amount of production, but the problem was in, in his senior year because he was so small and he was already kind of overlooked anyway. He actually had a toe injury where he missed quite a few games and he wasn't invited to the combine. And that's kind of one of those things where, in in certain situations, especially when you have NFL scouts that are going to games and stuff like that, you know sometimes they're not looking at some of these guys like a Duke Shelley, where you're not looking for a five eight defensive back playing for Kansas State. You know one of the <laughs> not a very good big 12 team anyway. And you know, big 12 defense, you're not going to those games looking for those kind of guys. And on top of it, you're definitely not going to go into those games, looking for those guys that are in the, you know, in the trainer's room or on the sideline because they tore a ligament in their toe. So I think it was just more of a situational thing. And again, I mean, we're talking a six round pick here. I mean, obviously the ceiling for somebody like Duke Shelley would be, you know, a starting nickel in the league and probably a decent starting nickel, you know, decent to good starting nickel. But again, I mean, it's kind of one of those things when you're looking at the draft, there's multiple ways you can look at things. You can look at things in a negative light. You can look at things in a realistic light, or you can look at and say, okay, you know, here are the traits that the bears have coveted. Um, this is why I think that he can end up working out, or this is why the pick makes sense. And, you know, naturally being a bears fan and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, you just kind of, yeah. At least for me, I don't know. I, I I'm looking more at the upside and the and the trades yeah. aspect to why Ryan Pace would take him. Yeah, totally on board with that. Just I do the same thing. Even with the next pick, Kareth White, like I've imagined in my head him being better than and I I still kind of believe this, but he, being similar to Mike Davis. And so I, that's actually where I wanted to go with that question was, um, do you see similarities there between Kareth White and Mike Davis and is Mike Davis slowly getting knocked down on the on the running back board? Well, I think with with White and Davis, I, I, I think schematically you're looking at two two different running backs here. Mike Davis is much better inside zone. Mike Davis also doesn't have nearly the speed, and he's a little bit more physical. Uh, so I, I think Davis is one of those guys that the Bears would obviously identify as somebody that they that they liked enough to be able to sign him 
on what Monday before really before free agency started, or at least the official start of free agency. So, I mean, they identified him enough to where they liked him, but they also didn't really give him that much money. But I think when you're looking at a guy like Kareth White again, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at upside and you're looking at traits here. I don't think that Kareth White is ever going to be a starting running back in the league. Uh, but what I do see with White is obviously he's got big time speed. Uh, this is a guy that you see him on, you see him on film and he pops right away because he's so damn fast. And surprisingly for as fast as he is, I think he ran a, I think it was a three, four, three, or uh, sorry, a th- uh, sorry, a four, three, four. <laughs> oh yeah, my was, goodness. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> so I got my little, little dyslexia right there. So I got my no, numbers okay. mixed up, but yeah, he's, so he was, I mean, he was a mid four, three guy. Right. And it was one of those situations where you, you watch him on tape, and obviously Devin Singletary was a number one back, but this guy started digging into the carries as the season went on. And it, it was easy to see why, in a sense, because you see him on the field, especially playing against maybe lower-level talent. You're looking at a guy, and you're saying, oh, wow, this guy's got some good speed. He's got some good traits. He's a, he's a pretty decent receiver. Uh, he's got excellent straight-line speed. And he's actually a, a decent-sized guy. I mean, he's a stout guy. He's 5'10". He's yeah. a little over 200 pounds. I mean, he's a he's he's not small by any means. The the worry that I would have for somebody like White, and I do like White, is that I think right off the bat you're looking at a guy that's probably going to be better suited for an outside zone scheme, just for the simple fact that for as good as he is with straight line speed, he's not going to make anybody miss. And that's kind of the thing because he doesn't have a lot of lateral agility and everything that I've seen of him, he's more of a straight line, a straight line runner. He's also somebody that in situations can absolutely run somebody over, but he's not going to do anything in the open field to make you miss outside of running past you. And I think that's something that kind of shows that he's more of a raw running back. I mean, that's not to say that he can't be developed later on down the line, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those situations where, again, you're looking in the seventh round, you're looking at a guy that's probably going to get maybe a few carries a game, a few touches a game, period, on the offensive side of the ball, if he's lucky. I mean, this isn't even guaranteed that he's going to make the roster. I think he will, but it's this is no lock at this point. But I think that if they wanted to get him involved in the offense, especially in year one, while he's still running or learning how to be a running back and, and, and learning the nuances to being a running back, getting him in an outside zone scheme where he can stretch things out a little bit, see the field in front of him and take off and go downhill, I think would be the best thing. The the one other value, though, to keep in mind with a guy like White is he's had the only two kick returns uh, for touchdowns in the history of FAU. I mean, this guy is an explosive returner. Which is which is good because a lot of people are going to look at it and they're going to say, okay, you know, they have Cordell Patterson right now. Cordell Patterson's on a two-year deal, and frankly, only one year that's guaranteed. And he's another one of those luxury guys where it's really cool to have him right now, but who knows if they can fit him in for next year in terms of the salary cap. So you have a guy that is is really good in all phases of special teams, including being a returner, and that's where he's going to make his his bread in year one is going to be having that sort of value. And that's exactly what you're looking for when you're looking at, you know, your third or fourth running back. So I like the pick, um, but I also think that there should be some, you know, at least some thoughts of the fact that he's not nearly complete running back. And there's a lot of development to be done for him to be somebody that can run in multiple schemes, especially when you're talking inside zone of power. Cool. Yeah, actually I was just, I forget who I was listening to, but he, he mentioned that, with the very little carries that he had inside the tackles, because he was also a backup, very little tape there was on inside the tackles running. He wasn't that bad from um, a running standpoint. So I, I don't know if you have any more insight on that, but from yeah, what well, I saw. 
you know, it's, it's one of those things that's, yeah, it, I mean, he definitely, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm looking when I'm, when I'm watching these guys, I'm looking more at traits. And what I see from him again is just very minimal uh, lateral ability, and that's yeah. just kind of a, a situation where okay, you know that works against lower level competition, that works at the mm. college level, uh, you know. But when you get in the NFL, when you're when you're facing guys that are bigger, faster, stronger than anything that you ever seen in your life, and you got to make a miss, and you're not getting that same blocking at the second level, and that's the other thing. He got a lot of good blocking at the second level mm-hmm. when he's running inside, and that's something that is not always going to be as consistent, where he's not just going to be able to outrun people and get to the second level, get to the third level, just blow past people, and I think that's where it's going to kind of come in. There's no, He doesn't have those jump cuts. He doesn't have the ability to really make tacklers miss unless he's running over somebody and even half the time that really wasn't working for him. So again, I, I, I just, when I, when I watch him, I see somebody who is developmental in the fact that he doesn't really look like he's been a running back all that long. And if he has, and I don't think he's been very well coached and it's just going to be something that's going to take a little bit of time for it to develop. And I, I, I mean, I could be completely wrong. I mean, we, we see running backs all the time that maybe come out of college and don't look like they have that great of traits and they end up turning into pretty good running backs. But I think in terms of, you know, overall ability as a running back and, and just being refined, I think he's got a long way to go in that regard. Awesome. Uh, Chris, do you have anything, Jake, on White? Nope. Yeah, no, I mean, Aaron said it all in the head. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Aaron. Your uh, wealth of knowledge. Um, on this last pick, does anybody, Jake or Chris, have anything quick to say on Denmark? Uh, um, no, I just I just know that Aaron was tweeting about him earlier today. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I I just know he's a pretty huge dude, and that's pretty much it. I don't know too much about him. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, help us out. Well, I mean, I don't blame you guys because I'm like the hell is Valdosta State? I, I don't. <laughs> I didn't even know where that was, and I still don't. I, somebody said it, and I've already forgot. But, yeah, you know, I, again, I mean, he's one of those guys that I started because I, I did a – I started doing undrafted uh, free agent kind of uh, rankings, I guess you could say, and I was I was trying to get some of these out a little early and, and uh, get them to my editor. And so I'm, I'm making these lists, and it got into probably the beginning of the seventh round, and he was one of the names that was still left uh, on a board that I was using. I got really lazy with the draft this year and didn't do my own, so that was that was definitely my own fault there. But I, I was going through some of the names, and he was one of the ones that was popping up, and I'm looking at him. I was like, man, this guy's huge. And I didn't really know much about him. The Bears took him, and then I started doing a little bit more research. I mean, really the Cliff Notes version of this is he's a one-year cornerback. He was a receiver. They transitioned him over cornerback his, his last year. He went to a Division II school. So there's going to be a large developmental curve. But I've talked to a few different people, and I'm going to have to rely on other people for their evaluations versus you know what I've seen and the limited that I've seen is the fact that he's one of those guys, he's an athletic specimen. Uh, his Sparks numbers were off the charts. I mean, I think he, I, I want to say he tested in like the 98th or 99th percentile, which is absolutely unreal. But again, he's also somebody who's a one-year starter at corner for a Division two school. So not only is there going to be that huge talent jump that he's going to have to see, he's also going to be learning how to actually be a corner. He's not just going to be able to rely on athleticism. Now, from the very minimal of tape I have seen on, because there's really not that much out there, he did look pretty good for the most part. I mean, he's definitely got good athleticism. He's a little stiff in the hips, in my opinion, but uh, that just seems to be a trait that Ryan Pace really likes in corners for a reason. I don't know why that is, but that's just something he's always 
he's always kind of seemed to go to, but he's he's developmental. I, it's going to be interesting because I think it was Dane Brugler was we're going back and forth a little bit, and he basically said that he he really liked him, but the one concern that he had would be if the Bears decide to try to sneak him on the practice squad. There could be a team, you know, a worse team with maybe needing some corner talent that could see him as one of those diamond in the rough guys when they get Adam in the 53 because their roster isn't as good. So the Bears are going to be in an interesting position uh, with him depending on how he develops because obviously he's raw. He's probably not going to see much playing time. I don't know how much special teams uh, time that he's seen. I don't think very much. So it's going to be one of those delicate balances where you may have to keep him on the 53-man roster, but he may have to be one of those inactives all the time. And unfortunately, that would take away from another position uh, you know, or another spot within the corner position in general. But he's definitely the high-ceiling guy, but he's also one of those, if he somehow didn't make the roster in two years, it wouldn't at all shock me just because you're – I think the last – man, just thinking about the last – receiver that made that late of a transition over a corner that's really panned out is Richard Sherman and and again I mean that's one of those situations where as cool as that is to to think about and I mean he even kind of looks like Richard Sherman if we're being honest but I mean at the same time that's that's not a very realistic expectation to have especially for a seventh round pick that is as developmental as he is so it's one of those if he works out great if he's a special teamer or whatever it is, great. And if he ends up being cut in two years or another team claims him, I don't think it's a huge loss by any means. Yeah, it's a seventh-round pick. Most of those late-round picks are flyers anyways, you know. So, yeah, if he pans out, that's awesome, like you said. Um, real quick, I, I know we're, we're not running out of time, but we don't want to hold you too late because you're, you're doing this totally out of the goodness of your heart. And uh, we do appreciate you being on the show. Um, but the, do you have any standout undrafted free agents, any, anything that like you've seen on paper and you're like, Oh man, this is, this guy's going to actually has potential to be a starter or even, um, sorry, a potential to be good, even a starter. Um, yeah. Well, I absolutely think the Bears had one of their better uh, better undrafted free agent classes in a while. I mean, obviously, there's the the three kind of the, the big names, I guess you could say, Emmanuel Hall, which I talked about a little earlier. I mean, he was somebody that there was a lot of people who had him projected as a second or third round pick. And again, I think part of it was definitely his durability. Um, he's kind of more of a track guy than he is a football guy at this point. So the mental toughness and the physical toughness has definitely got to come. And that's something that, uh, Matt Nagy's already talked about, but man, it's, it's incredible watching him on, uh, on film. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys and it's, it's kind of funny cause you, you watch Emmanuel Hall in Missouri and then you watch Drew Locke and you're like, how in the heck did this guy get drafted? Like Drew Locke's got a big arm and that's about it. But Watching him, I thought was it was definitely interesting. He's he's I mean he doesn't have a very good route tree. I'll tell you that. I mean he's he's somebody that he's going to be developmental in the fact that you're going to actually have to teach him how to be a receiver. But he's also somebody that again when you're talking about somebody like a Taylor Gabriel, where he's your speed guy, where he's you know you're kind of you're down the field guy. I mean obviously he plays more roles than that. He's actually a very well rounded receiver. But when you're talking about a deep threat. Uh, Emmanuel Hall is somebody who makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you just want to send him out on, you know, just a, a ton of nine routes and do different things with them and use them on end rounds and in special packages, and that's cool. Uh, so, I mean, he's definitely somebody who could absolutely make the roster. I think the development that he's going to see over the next few months going into training camp and in preseason is going to be big for him. And I think durability is really the biggest thing. So he was one. Uh, the other one was uh, Dax Raymond, tied tight end out of Utah State. I had a fifth round grade on him. Uh, 
and there's quite a few people who had mid-round to late-round grades on him, and he's definitely a draftable player. Um, and again, it's kind of one of those situations where you're kind of looking at a uh, Looking at it from a perspective, you know, the, the the talent level that he was playing with was obviously not the same, but he's got a lot of good traits, and he's somebody that I, I think is more of kind of that you tied in, kind of behind uh, Trey Burton. He's kind of more of a pass catcher, uh, not so much of a blocker, but, I mean, that's completely fine with what they already have on the roster, and I think he's got probably the clearest path to a roster spot right now, just looking at the tight end depth. I mean, obviously you have Trey Burton, Adam Shaheen, who hasn't proven anything yet, Ben Broniker, who just signed a new two-year deal with uh, you know minimal guarantees. But outside of that, you've got three undrafted guys, and I, I would say Dax Raymond is absolutely uh, the most talented out of those guys. And like I said, probably the clearest spot to a – or clear, yeah, clearest spot to a, a roster at this point. And then the last guy um, would be Alex Bars out of out of Notre Dame. I mean, it's one of those situations where I, I think obviously it kind of speaks for itself. He's a Notre Dame guy. Harry Heastan, Bears offensive line coach, was at Notre Dame. Coach this guy. I think that Alex Bars absolutely would have been drafted in the middle rounds if not for the fact that he had a knee injury that ended up, you know, obviously hurting him a little bit there. But He's somebody that, I mean, you're looking at Kyle Long and the fact that, again, I mean, it's kind of the theme of all this when, you look, when you're looking at some of these late-round guys and what they're doing in the draft. Uh, there's a decent chance Kyle Long's not going to be here next year, depending on, you know, money and all that stuff. And, and Bars is somebody that maybe, maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but I think Bars is somebody who could absolutely sit back, uh, see some time as a swing guard, um, you know, even maybe see some time depending on what happens with injuries and stuff like that. But he would be somebody that I would be looking towards in 2020 that could that could at least compete for the starting job if Kyle Long ends up leaving. Uh, Chuck Harris was another one. I know a lot of people are kind of he's an edge rusher. I know a lot of people are kind of obsessed with the uh, the Canadian edge rusher uh, uh, Matthew Betts. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see again. I, I have a tough time, and that was the same thing with Adam Shaheen. I have a very tough time when you're. When you're watching some of these draft prospects, especially a guy like Betts, he's 24 years old. I mean, he's already older as it is. But when you're watching these guys play against pretty much high school level talent, um, you know, in, in these smaller schools, and he played in Canada at Laval, uh, it's it's very hard for me to actually try and evaluate the talent level because unfortunately there's just so much of a talent gap you know he was absolutely dominant in 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 college in Canada but that doesn't really mean anything transitioning over to the NFL so I would say overall I just just kind of an overall scope I think the Bears picked up quite a few good players quite a few drafted talent and I would say that in an overall aspect I would say that this was easily the best uh, undrafted free agent class that Ryan Pace has had in a while and I mean, that's kind of keeping in mind the fact that they've had guys like Cameron Meredith. They've had guys like Bryce Callahan, Roy Robertson Harris. I mean, he's he's been very good at finding talent in the uh, the undrafted portion, and he put a lot of work into that this year, especially with the, the lack of picks that they had. I mean, they met with multiples of these guys, and a lot of them, a lot of these signings were top thirty visits. Um, and it helps that the Bears were so good last year because um, Emmanuel Hall. I, I, apparently had other offers to come out and check their team out as well. So just have these guys come to the bears with excitement of knowing that their team is going to be successful next season, or at least hopefully um, helps on signing some of these undrafted guys. 
Well, I, I think especially with a guy like Hall, I'm, I'm sure he probably had 15, 20 teams banging down the door trying to get him in. And, and it's actually interesting that you bring up the point about the Bears being good because if you look at the, the, the roster right now, there's not a lot of, at least in my opinion, there's not a lot of open spots when you're looking at cutting down from 90 to 53. So yeah. I was actually kind of curious to see how good of an undrafted class that they were going to get even with the amount of work that they put in just because sometimes you see these players in there. Uh. They're obviously wanting to go to the the team that they feel that they can, you know, have the easiest shot or the best shot of making a roster spot. But Pace did a pretty good job of being able to pull some of these guys in. I think Matt Nagy was also a big reason. The culture of the Bears is a reason why a lot of these guys are saying, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to have the best, you know, the the best shot to make a roster here versus maybe some of these other bad teams. But a lot of these guys just want to be a part of the Bears culture, and I think that's a big thing as well. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, Chris, Jake, do you guys have any question on undrafted free agents? Uh, with Dex Raymond, I know a lot of people are high on him. You said he's part of that big three. And you also mentioned Adam Shaheen, how we haven't gotten much out of him. I'm a huge Shaheen guy, and I, I really like what he could do if he could just freaking stay healthy. But Raymond, I feel like if the Bears end up keeping him, is that kind of a writing on the wall situation? I don't think so, because I, I don't think that Ryan Pace is going to be the type of GM who's going to mortgage a, a second-round pick on a guy like Adam Shaheen, and especially with his injury history and just the fact that he really hasn't had a chance to get going. I don't think he's going to mortgage a second-round pick on a guy like that and then look at a undrafted free agent and say, all right, you know, here's his job. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, is I think that we kind of learned this last year, even in limited time, that Adam Shaheen is definitely more of an inline tight end uh, with red zone capability than he is going to be, you know, like a U tight end like uh, like Trey Burton was. He's he's a better blocker than people give him credit for. And I think that Raymond's going to be more of that U tight end role anyway. So I think if anything, if you're kind of looking stylistically or who he could push down the line in a year or two, I'd say it's more Trey Burton than anything. Interesting. Chris? Um, yeah, that was actually my question was about Adam Shaheen as well. So, yep, that's about it. <laughs> cool. All right, Aaron. Uh, I know Jake had an additional question. Jake, go ahead. Well, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least bring up the kicking situation, obviously. Uh, and the Bears are down to Chris Blewett and uh, Elliot Fry, and they just traded for the Raiders kicker. Uh, I forget his name. It escapes me right now. Eddie Pinheiro, um, man. Just, yeah, I, I mean, what do you think of him? And then I, I do have a follow-up question after that. But, I mean, what do you think of trading for a kicker? Well, I think, you know, what's funny is I can't remember what I was doing. I was doing something, and I walked away for like five, ten minutes, and I came back, and then I saw that Adam Shefford broke that they, they traded for Pinheiro. And at first I was like, what the hell is Eddie Pinheiro? And then I remember that he was the, the, the guy from Florida that had that huge leg that, uh, you know, was – pretty celebratory i guess you could say with almost every kick he made and he was actually it was weird it's and that's the other thing too with with kickers i mean especially when they're coming out of college you just don't know man it's like a lot of these draft publications will will put out their top lists and you'll see some of these guys that were supposedly top kickers and and pinero was one of those guys last year that a lot of people thought were going to be a top kicker didn't end up getting drafted um but i think the big thing to keep in mind here is this all right you you got jamie cole who's their new kicking consultant that's in uh, Jamie Cole is going to be very partial to his guys because he runs the biggest kicking camp in the United States. He coaches middle school. He coaches high school. He coaches college. He coaches pro guys. I mean, he coaches people from all around the world that come in to work with him at his camps. And 
the the big thing here is the fact that you have a guy like Chris Blewett who went to Pitt, um, was I think he was with Pittsburgh in 2017 for the preseason. Obviously, they they already had a kicker, so he didn't end up making it. But he's been in the camps the last few years. He actually won a kicking competition, and that was how it caught Chris Tabor's eye because Chris Tabor and Jamie Cole are good friends. So the <laughs> the key to kind of keep in mind here is that Jamie Cole is going to have his guys. Uh, I think Fry has done a little bit of work with him, but Eddie Pinheiro is 100% a Jamie Cole guy. And Eddie Pinheiro has a big leg. He's a very emotional guy. Um, I actually posted a link on my, the, the link from a YouTube video on Twitter of basically this dude, every kick he ever made at Florida and just how absolutely hyped this guy gets every single time he makes a kick. I have no issue with it. I'm a Tim Anderson fan. I love when people celebrate and that's just, you know, <laughs> I, I love that. So it's like, if you want to pimp every kick out there, that's cool with me. Uh, <laughs> But I, I think it's it's one of those situations to keep in mind, especially with a guy like Pinheiro. Pinheiro won the job with Raiders last year. I think a lot of people kind of forget that just because of how everything went down. Pinheiro won the job. He beat out Giorgio Tacaveri or whatever his name is. And he ended up pulling his groin, and then they ended up going with uh, they, they ended up signing uh, man, the Auburn kicker, Daniel Carlson. Uh, that, and it wasn't he was drafted by Minnesota. And long story short, he he sucked. I think we all saw that last year in the in that Packers game when he missed. I think it was like two or three kicks, and they cut him. Yeah. And then the the Vikings picked him up. He had a pretty good year with the Vikings, so they dealt him to the Bears. So I would say this, right? You have Chris Blewett, who's never kicked in an NFL game. You have Elliot Fry, who's never kicked in an NFL game. He was good in the AAF. Then you have a guy like Eddie Pinheiro, who has a huge leg. On top of being a Jamie Cole guy, as you know, obviously as well as Chris Blewett, but the thing that really sticks out to me is the fact that he's actually won an NFL job before. He's gone into training camp and he's won an NFL job. He got hurt. That's the only reason he didn't get it. So I think at least that should give Bears fans some sort of, uh, I don't know, some comfort in the fact that they, they can at least know that there's at least one guy within the kicking room right now that is qualified to at least start the season as an NFL kicker. Oh, and I ask because you have been tweeting. You've been tweeting that uh, you still think that the Bears will go with a veteran guy, and obviously Finero's a veteran, quote unquote, veteran guy. Um, you've mentioned Matt Bryant, but I also had someone in mind. Uh, what do you think of Pat McAfee making a comeback? He's <laughs> been he's been kicking online. He's been posting Instagram videos and kind of hinting at a comeback. What do you think about that potentially happening? Yeah, that would that would be fun. I mean, McAfee's a really fun guy. I think talk about celebrations. Yeah, right. I I think that they're definitely. I don't know, man. It definitely seems like they're more in the in the camp of they want to find their own guy. And I think worst case scenario, they want to go with somebody proven. And I think that's why Matt Bryant could make some sense because I man, I love Robbie Gold, and I would love to see Robbie Gold back on the Bears. But John Lynch is an idiot GM, and I just don't see any way, shape, or form that John Lynch is going to be punked by a 36-year-old kicker. I, I just don't see it happening. So I think one way or another, Robbie Gold's going to end up showing up to camp and he'll end up kicking for the 49ers this year. I don't think he's a real option. So when you're looking at other guys, let's just say this all blows up in the Bears' face. I mean, outside of you know, get, signing another guy that maybe gets cut from another team, the only other one that would make a lot of sense, and I'm drawing a blank on his name just because he's, I, I think he's like – Norwegian or something like that is the the backup kicker that uh, that the Ravens have. He was a kicker punter. He has a huge leg. Uh, the the I Ravens saw that tweet exactly. The Ravens are actually holding on to the guy Vedvik, I think is his name. Uh, they're He's actually like super holding tatted up. 
Exactly. Yeah, and he's yeah. He, supposedly he's really good. Vedvik, yeah. Exactly, and that's the guy that uh, that Pat Manley has actually told me about and has mentioned mentioned it a few times on air and stuff like that. And he's somebody that could definitely make some sense too. But I mean, outside of that, I mean, again, he's not a proven kicker. The only other proven guy that's probably going to be out on the market outside of maybe uh, Kai Forbath would be Matt Bryant. So I mean, that's just kind of. I think now that you're kind of seeing how things are playing out, like I said, this is definitely a Jamie Cole move. I'm pretty sure he said, if you want a guy that I can work with, go out and get this guy. I would say more likely than not, I think unless Pinheiro comes in and absolutely sucks uh, in the preseason, which I don't think is going to happen, I think that he's probably going to end up being the guy. But if things do blow up in their face, I mean, I don't think they're going to have any other option except to go with another vet. And, you know, Matt Bryan's still out on the market, and I guess we'll have to see what happens with the rest. But I don't see Robbie Gold as an option right now. We're bringing Connor Barth back. No. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's funny. Um, Collective groan. No, I think uh, I, I like Chris Blewett, and not not has nothing to do with his leg. So I, I'm more like I said, I'm a character guy, um, but I'm also a make stuff up guy. So I make stuff up. Anyways, I don't know if you've ever heard the the song "A Boy Named Sue." Oh Johnny yeah. Cash. Oh yeah. yeah. Same same concept. So he is not going to screw up. He knows what his name means, and, and he knows what will happen if he messes up. And for the rest of time, he will be known as the guy who blew it because of his last name. So that that's my that's my analysis on Chris Blewett, and he's going to be the greatest kicker of all time. So that's 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 where I'm standing on the whole kicking situation. Well, to be fair, I mean, honestly, I think going into the weekend or maybe even today before they made this move, I think Chris Blewett was absolutely the in-house favorite to to win the position. I mean, they've they pumped him up a lot. I know a lot of people within the organization like him. And again, uh, Chris Tabor has a very good relationship with Jamie Cole, even before they brought him in as their kicking consultant. And I think Cole, I mean, that, that's kind of been Cole's guy. Um, I, I think that he wants another one in there. But I think in terms of when you're looking at experience, and that's kind of my concern. When I'm looking at the kicking situation, mm-hmm. I, I thought that Chris Blewett would probably have made the most sense just because of what I've heard. But at the same time, I mean, you're talking about two guys that have never kicked in an NFL game or never even won a job. So it, at least with Pinheiro, he's got that going for him. But I, I still think it's it's I mean, it's a shaky situation. It's, I don't think there's really any way around that. I mean, you're yeah. talking about two guys that were that came out of the draft in 2017 and haven't played professional football outside of the AAF, I guess you could say, but they haven't kicked in an NFL game ever, and they're a year removed or more than a year removed from college. I mean, that's, at least in my mind, I mean, I, and I've done a pretty good amount of draft research and, and kicking research. You don't see a lot of those guys that just magically figure it out. They go to a kicking coach, and all of a sudden they come in and they have a successful career. So I think, again, that's another reason why maybe Pinheiro uh, would be the, the front runner at this point, but I absolutely think that he was kind of the the Jamie Cole guy that he said, you, you want a guy that I can work with. You want a guy that has the best chance, go out and get this guy. Uh, I think it's so interesting that every year since we got rid of Robbie gold, this is a conversation that we keep having, having. And, and I mean, obviously because we just can't nail a, a kicker, but um, I was listening to a podcast that you did. Uh, I think in, was it 2016 that we got rid of Robbie gold 2015. Yeah. Anyways, um, and the options that you gave uh, to to replace Robbie Gold was Connor Barth and Cody Parkey. <laughs> and so, and I'm not, Oof. I'm not, no, 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 I just thought it was super interesting that both of those guys, the Bears ended up picking up. Um, 
So. And they both absolutely sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, to, to your point though, that what I'm trying to say is that kicking, finding a kicker is so hard. Like it's just so hard to pin one down and, <clears throat> and it's gotten a whole lot worse even throughout the entire NFL. Like even guys who were solid, like you got guys like Matt Bryant sitting on the free agency. <laughs> Like, what's going on? I don't understand. Do you have any insight on that? Well, I think evaluating kickers in general is just it's just hard. I mean, with special teams in general, man, I, I think there's like three or four special teams coordinators in the league that actually know what the hell they're doing. And then I think you have the rest of the guys. And even the guys that know what they're doing, I mean, it's it's a situation where they're still bringing in kicking consultants when they need to find a kicker. I mean, the, the Bears aren't the first team to do this, and they definitely won't be the last. And and like you pointed out, I mean, you see kickers all the time that just 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 kind of fail out of nowhere. And then you see other guys like Robbie Gold, Steve Doskowski, even Adam Vinatieri that are kicking well into the late 30s and 40s that just somehow haven't. I think a lot of it's just a mental game. I think the thing with Cody Parkey was. I don't think Cody Parkey was ever a great kicker by any means, but I think he was at least a good kicker, and he was a good kicker because he was never in pressure situations. As soon as he got with the Bears mm-hmm. and he started missing kicks, I think that was a that was a big reason for it. But, you know, I, I go back to the whole Robbie Gold thing, and I think at the time what the Bears did was right. I, I think that I think a lot of people forget how unreliable he was uh, towards the end. That's what you're saying, yeah, in that podcast. And, and that's kind of the thing, but unfortunately – when you it's kind of like the whole Cody Parkey situation. So it's cool. You know, we can sit here and we can celebrate Cody Parkey being gone. Thank God he's gone all this stuff. But now what? And that's kind of the position, you know, that's kind of position the bears have been in since they let Robbie gold go. It's like, okay, cool. You moved on from gold because he, he, he wasn't kicking. Well, obviously he's rejuvenated his career, but now what, you know, they, they've gone through Connor Barth. They've gone through Roberto Aguayo. They've gone through Cairo Santos. They've gone through Mike Nugent. Uh, you know, they've gone through Cody Parkey. It's like, you know, at some point in time, you know, Ryan Pace is a good GM. I absolutely believe that he's he's built a good roster. But at some point in time, you got to get the kicking situation figured out. And I mean, it, it's got to be this year, because at least in my personal opinion, I think if they had a better kicker last year, one, they would have not been in the position they were in the in the, the wild card game. They would have been in the NFC. Uh, what was that divisional round? Because. If Parkey would have made one of the kicks in the regular season, uh, especially that Miami kick, they would have won the game. They would have been 13-3, and and then they had the number one seed. So, I mean, you just kind of look at it that way. But even, let's just say he somehow misses that kick even in the playoffs. I mean, you got a 43-yard kick. People can make whatever excuse that they want. I've talked to multiple people who have either played special teams or coached special teams, and every single one of them has told me the same thing. The fact that that kick got blocked from Parkey was on Parkey. It was on nobody else. There was no penetration. The guy that blocked it was Trayvon Hester, who's 6'1", and has, I think it was 31 and a half inch arms. I mean, he's not even a big dude to begin with. I mean, it was it was completely on Parkey. So it's like they've got to get it figured out. The reason that it cost them in the playoffs last year and the reason that they were even in a position that they were in was because of Cody Parkey. I'm not going to say that they would have won the Super Bowl, but in order for the Bears to be truly a Super Bowl contender and be able to win the Super Bowl, I, I, I absolutely believe that they got to get the kicking situation figured out. I just don't know who the hell it is, and I've kind of come to the realization that I don't know how to evaluate kickers, and I think 99.9% of the population in America probably didn't know how to evaluate kickers either. When when do teams start to carry, like let's say your guy is starting to get old, or in a Robbie Gold situation, um, when do your team start to carry a second kicker? <laughs> it just sounds silly, but at some point you got to start developing people. Like you got to understand, wow, this this is a problem. We need to start 
developing somebody behind this guy, kind of like a quarterback or a wide receiver or cornerback. I'm not really sure it's ever happened, to be completely honest, because I, I don't know that I don't know if I've ever seen of any NFL roster that's that has carried two kickers when one of them wasn't hurt. I don't I don't think it's like a quarterback situation where you're going to have, you know, that developmental guy where maybe you're keeping a third quarterback. I at least to my knowledge, I've, I've never seen it. It's usually one of those things that it's like usually when you see kickers go downhill, they they go out in a blaze of glory and then you know, you, you just kind of stuck. One thing that I just wanted to say, because you were kind of talking about if kickers, like why teams don't carry more. I think it's because it, it's a such a volatile position, but also you got you got guys like Vinatieri, who are here doing it till they're almost fifty. So it's it's some like teams. I just think, like you said, Aaron, it's like ninety nine point nine percent of us don't know how to do, it, and I think that applies even to NFL evaluators. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's just. Kicking, kicking is just weird, man. I, I don't really know how else to put it. I, I've talked to, I talked to multiple kickers, and they all kind of say, you know, different things. And it's like, at least to me, you know, like I've had a few of them show me, like what's what what's good, what's not good, like what you know, like in terms of mechanics stuff like that. And it's like they'll show me two different clips. I'm like, that looks like the same exact thing. Like it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It, and again, I think that's why you got kicking specialists. So unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know. Um, the the only hope that I have is that Ryan Pace will figure it out and this won't be an issue anymore because it seems pretty silly to me that what should be the least important position or the least you know the 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 least hard to find whatever you want to call it I mean that it, when you're looking at it, I mean you're talking about a bunch of dudes that you need a, a ton of athleticism from a bunch of other stuff and all these traits and you got a kicker where you're ultimately kicking a ball. And yet, that seems to be the hardest position for the Bears to find right now. It used to be quarterback, now it's somehow kicker. So, hopefully they get it figured out because, I mean, we, we all know how last season ended. And I think that the Bears are going to be even better this season. But if they don't have the right kicker, I mean, we could be right back in the same position where, where there's bouts of depression after a playoff loss because a kicker couldn't do his job. Yep, absolutely. Sad. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> Chris. Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to ask, Aaron? Um, I mean, that's about it. I just, I just want to thank you again, uh, myself. Uh, we all really appreciate it, um, and we're looking forward to talking to you again soon, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime you guys want me on, like I said, dude, this is. This is a hobby for me. I enjoy doing it. Um, got a, a decent amount of free time because I don't like going out and dealing with people. So, you know, anytime you guys want me on, just, just let me know. Fair enough. All right. Definitely. Next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jake, anything else? No. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's awesome to uh, actually have a guest. It's usually just a rotating of us fools. Yeah. 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 yeah we just kind of go in circles and and that was the idea of our podcast anyways we just wanted it to be just a bunch of guys talking bears football so uh thanks for doing that with us yeah of course man well good good luck and uh you know and and keeping this thing going and then just let me know whenever you guys want me back on i'm always more than more than happy to come back on and 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 talk bears football hopefully hopefully uh training camp comes up soon because i'm getting to the point where Sundays are becoming very frustrating without football. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Well, I'll just close it out and we'll, we'll head out. Wrap it up. All right. You've been listening to a bears nation podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron, for hopping on uh, Jake, Chris, again, you guys were awesome. And then myself, I was the best. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you guys nice, have an awesome nice. day. <laughs> Thank you.
Welcome.